Some companies still know how business casual is done. It's strictly business. Some companies still know how business casual is done. It's strictly business. Good morning. Some intros are so good you gotta hear them you twice. You gotta hit them twice, Chief. Yeah. And sometimes you just hit the wrong button and that happens. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's fine. I think our listeners like hearing Michael Scott. I love hearing Michael Scott. What a soothing, refreshing voice every morning. What a great way to start a Wednesday. I agree. Tyler, we're in the new podcast studio. Is this the first business casual in this setup? Uh, yes. Or is this at least our first business casual in this setup? This is the first business casual period in this setup. Huge. Because we... What did we do on Friday? Uh, were I we in the other I studio? we were in the other studio. Yeah, we were across the way. Folks, I wish you could see this right now. Head to my Twitter. You actually can. Head to my Twitter at yeah. uh, Voice of B2B. Again, that's at Voice of B2B. Give me a follow on there. I like tweeting some businessy B2B. Legally jargony stuff. Sure. Anyways, I tweeted a picture. You can get a kind of mini look at what the new studio looks like, but we did a total refresh. Yeah, we did. Tyler and I both have little hubs. We're working on decorating them now, getting some Funko Pops in here. You know, we're we're leaning into the pop culture. We're leaning into the kind of refined wooden black metal look. I feel very sophisticated. Like, I need a cigar mm. and a glass of scotch. That'd be fantastic. Could you imagine if suddenly just this becomes a cigar lounge back here? Be awesome. I don't know that we have the ventilation for that. but we definitely uh, do not. It's, uh, it's, it's great The rest of the company now. can deal with secondhand. Sure. sure that. I mean, yeah. it, come on. The vibes are important here. What's more business casual than working while also smoking a cigar? Exactly. Vibes win. Sorry, guys. Always. <laughs> Sorry, management. Always. So, anyways, it's Wednesday. It's Business Wednesday. Uh, we have some news here at MarketScale. In addition to the new podcast studio, we're excited that a uh, trailer for our next episode of Made in America yes. is out today. I went up and visited Martin Guitars along with Zach Werblow, our director of uh, original content. And we shot an episode up in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, detailing how they make Martin guitars. Now, Martin is kind of an institution in the United States. They've been making guitars here since 1833. And guys like, I mean, you name it, they've played a Martin. Elvis, Bob Dylan, uh, Eric Clapton. Uh, go man. all on down the list. Uh, they all have played Martins, and uh, they're just phenomenal guitars. So uh, as somebody who plays guitar myself, it was an absolute blast, and I geeked out for uh, two days and shot an episode at the same time. So it was, uh, it was an absolute blast. So go check that out on our Pro AV page on marketscale.com right now. Did you get any free merch? Uh, I got discounted merch. Actually, no, I got a free pack of guitar strings. Hmm. I did not come home with a $2,000 guitar, though. So That's kind of what I was hoping for. I, I kind of hoping you'd get look, you know, custom engraved Tyler Kern guitar. Look, maybe once they see how good the episode is, they'll send me one. Hey. We okay, well, then we we really got to make sure production value is high on this Ooh, one. Ooh, yeah, we got to... Let's we gotta, go. <laughs> we got to ramp that up. Absolutely. Uh, you know what production value was high on? What? Uh, <laughs> high on? High on. Mm. Walmart has apologized, Daniel, because they had a holiday sweater for sale that displayed uh, maybe a 
Oh, a snowman. <gasps> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, a snowman oh, version of Santa God. Claus that has him on a couch <laughs> in front of a coffee table. And underneath the coffee table, it says, let it snow. And then on the coffee table, and this is why they've had to apologize, there are what appears to be three lines of what you can only assume are cocaine lines. Um, you know. <laughs> and so Dude. Uh, Walmart has had to apologize for Santa sweater with drug reference is the headline. And um, This is my favorite part of this story. Part of the description said, the best snow comes straight from South oh America. Oh, my gosh. Santa really likes to savor the moment when he gets his hands on some quality grade A Colombian snow. You cannot say that. You can't do that. Brutal, dude. <laughs> what? What are you doing? I mean, okay, it was technically sold online as part of a third-party vendor. Of so, course. you know, well, I don't think Walmart actually created this. They did not manufacture it. They, you know, they have third-party people. Similar to Amazon now, you know, it's a third-party thing, but... You know, look, it's fu- it's a funny sweater. It and is, it is funny. You know, yeah. the the South American drug war is not particularly funny, but the concept of a Santa snowman doing a line of snow cocaine is fun <laughs> of hmm, of what? <laughs> what snow what is uh you know, it's funny. Wintery mix. I don't know, like I I I feel like uh the larger these corporations get and the larger their portfolio get, like, where do they start to draw the line on what represents their brand or not? Because I'm sure you can buy some raunchy stuff on Amazon. Sure. But, like, Amazon isn't every day having to apologize for the third-party vendors selling raunchy things on their website, if you know? If Walmart hadn't apologized for it, would I know about it? Exactly. Probably not. The company said the sweaters do not, quote, represent its values. <laughs> I mean, what are its values? <laughs> we do not. It is not part of our value system to <laughs> show Santa doing <laughs> cocaine. Doing cocaine. I don't know, but that that raises a good question. Why would you connect this with Walmart more than you would connect something you know reprehensible that you could buy on Amazon with Amazon? Right. You just look at it and you say, oh, that's." And, and maybe it's just the fact that when you go to Amazon, you know there are third-party vendors. It's kind of how, like how it works. Whereas with Walmart, you think. Well, Maybe Walmart there's the supplied? assumption. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So uh, that that makes that. more sense to me, and I understand wanting to save face. But you know, I, I I don't know. I also feel like maybe like why back down on goofy things? Like, I, sure. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem uh, like something that requires a full press release from Walmart to say, you know, we disown this. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting to see how Walmart is dealing with its e-commerce platform and e-commerce presence versus something like an Amazon, which, you know, clearly isn't really trying to censor too much of the of the products that come onto their site. You can actually I think that's go, part of the appeal, you know? You can go buy actual, like, drug paraphernalia on, on Amazon. Amazon. Like, if you wanted yes. to go buy a bong or something like that, right. you can buy that on Amazon. Right. Whereas Walmart had a sweater produced by a third vendor right, and that was with a drug g- reference, and it was like, this does not represent our values. Goodbye. Well, yeah, okay, obviously. <laughs> obviously, right. you weren't, like, intending to have something that portrayed Santa doing cocaine. Right. <sighs> Goofy. Goofy stuff, but, uh, you know, interesting to see a large company back away from a product like that yeah. when, honestly, I feel like no one would have even... Like, it, it probably is more newsy, or more newsworthy because they said something about it. Sure. Like said, it's just kind of funny. I agree. Speaking of retail and kind of that world and it being the holidays and that sort of thing, 
There's another round of tariffs on Chinese consumer goods that are scheduled to be put into effect this Sunday, December 15th, Daniel. Now, it's $160 billion in Chinese consumer goods are set to be slapped with these here tariffs. Those tariffs would hit video game consoles, computer mm. monitors, Christmas decorations, toys, and other items, including clothing, that are often given as gifts. So the question is, will tariffs be the Grinch that ruined Christmas this year? Hmm. All that stuff. So in a... I guess to go along with this, the Trump administration has made some noise, rumbled, let's say gently rumbled, about potentially delaying the tariffs that are set to take effect this Sunday. So as they take steps to kind of delay this next round of American tariffs um, on Chinese goods, they're kind of trying to work these into the negotiations. Mm. How is this all going to work? Um, obviously, I think you would like to not have these tariffs in place over the holidays, right? Like, this seems like a bad time for these tariffs, but if you continually roll them back to avoid bad press, to avoid the effect of what tariffs do to what everybody, not maybe not everybody, but most people would acknowledge that tariffs are passed along to the consumer, that the cost is passed along to the consumer eventually. If you're trying to avoid that kind of bad press and those bad headlines and those bad feelings around the holidays, then what exactly is the point of the, the trade war anyways, I guess. But more specifically, we're looking at the impact on the retail industry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that these tariffs, uh, you know, the people that are going to feel them the most are the average consumer means that, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be doing much to further any kind of deal or negotiation with the Chinese, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to structure something that is pro-U.S. economy. And, and, I mean, I think we also have to remember... You know, China is a behemoth of a country as well with their own, right? Um, you know, very overt economic goals. So, you know, they're not super excited to just cave to the United States' wishes on, on global economic uh, movement, right? Sure. I mean, like, there can be an agreement that benefits both, but, you know, if we're going into it with saying, like, no, the U.S. needs to come out on top from these deals— you know, the, I don't see why they would want to do that. So tariffs like this, I don't think really help further those conversations. And brutal timing. Yeah. I mean, people are procrastinators. So if any of these tariffs actually hit these big uh, Christmas products, you could see some people having to fork over a little more money mm -hmm. over the holiday season. Yeah, um, yeah. As we talk about kind of that impact on the retail industry, Jonathan Gold, National Retail Federation Vice President for Supply Chain and Customs Policy, said tariffs are bad for both consumer and business confidence, and we hope that the December tariffs will be canceled or postponed as a sign of good faith. We need to deal with China as soon as possible so we can bring an end to the trade war that has put a drag on the U.S. economy for far too long. So if you're wondering what you know someone high up in the retail industry has to say about this or what he thinks i think he made it pretty clear they're not a fan of the tariffs yeah yeah it's gonna be felt by the end users much like uh economic sanctions often yeah. get uh you know if not targeted uh at um the types of companies that would hurt the most from sanctions mm -hmm. uh often it just gets felt by people right by consumers customers and that's tough and i think in these kind of large scale economic negotiations and politicking uh 
you know, the lowly random Joe or Deborah on the street, like, need to be considered as well, especially Christmas time because people are buying gifts and people need presents and kids want presents. Of course. Kids want toys and it'd be tough if that toy was, you know, $10 more expensive. That can make or break a purchase. So Definitely. Tough. I agree. I agree. Now, one company that seems to be getting a little creative, doing things right, really, is Old Navy. And Mm. they are tapping Postmates to help it make same-day deliveries of last-minute holiday gifts. Interesting. So shoppers will be able to order online from Old Navy this holiday season and have Postmates deliver it to their homes that same day. From December 21st to December 23rd, they can do that for free. Otherwise, it'll cost $8.99 for delivery uh, per order. So... That's an interesting uh, interesting little use of a company like Postmates that's used to delivering food quickly, timely. Old Navy has turned it around and said, why can't we use this for retail? Which is actually a really smart idea to me, right? And it, it's, it seems like a good partnership between a company like Old Navy that kind of provides a little bit more discount. It's not like high-end clothing brand, but then turning around and using a company like Postmates that already has that infrastructure for quick, speedy, fast delivery to make sure that people get these items in a really, really timely manner, seems to be a good idea to try to combat a little bit of what Amazon offers around this time, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that they're making it free uh, from the 21st to the 23rd. Yeah. So they're really encouraging... (laughs) They're kind of encouraging last-minute holiday shopping to a degree. Um, But, you know, some people work up until that day, and... They don't really have the opportunity to get out there, take time off. You know, maybe that weekend before Christmas is the only time they have to actually shop. So, sure. I think from a customer service perspective, it speaks to their audience. Like you mm-hmm. said, a more accessible, uh, it's not like luxury brand clothes. It's, right. um, you know, it's, it's very accessible and affordable, but high quality clothes at Old Navy. And, uh, you know, the idea that, um, you know, the people that are going to benefit from this the most might not have the opportunity to shop until literally the weekend before, mm-hmm. I think makes sense. Um, and it's definitely, you know, a good PR move. Uh, but from a right. structural perspective, uh, you know, I wonder how scalable this is and if Old Navy or any other retailers could either take advantage of existing delivery infrastructure or build their own um, to kind of tap into the the benefits of an Amazon mm-hmm. e-commerce or even the kind of grocery delivery and pickup that has become a little more commonplace. Sure, sure. I don't know. It, it's I think it's a I think it's a great idea. I think your question about scaling is correct. You know. Um, so we'll just have to see what exactly comes out of this. If Old Navy experiences like an awesome holiday season and this is a you know booming idea, uh, that's that's huge. But, yeah. You know, tapping into that infrastructure, I think, is is smart. Like I said, and the delivery provider Postmates has said that uh, the number of people ordering clothing items via Postmates has grown sixty percent year over year. Which totally shows people love convenience. Yeah. And they will, like, if the opportunity is there for them to purchase something online or to have it delivered or to have it you know circumvent them having to get in their car Mm -hmm. get on public transit and get off to the store then they're gonna probably take it if they can afford it and i think you know treating people to that kind of service for free around the holidays 
is just kind of a sign of good faith. It's cool. I like it. I appreciate stuff like that. Um, but I am really interested to see how Postmates continues to diversify its portfolio of deliveries. Definitely. And whether or not we start seeing some retail giants, uh, at least brick-and-mortar retail giants, wanting to push more for delivery, maybe shrinking their stores, shrinking their volume, and really leaning into, uh, you know, kind of a a brick-and-mortar slash e-commerce combo of their business model. Yeah. Very interesting. It is going to be interesting. And so uh, maybe let's make a note, because we say this all the time, we should follow this story and see what happens next. But uh, coming up next, we are going to follow up on a story that we did uh, not that long ago where we looked at PG&E. So we will keep up with this story um, and maybe look back uh, after the holidays at what Old Navy does and how Postmates is looking business-wise and kind of try to uh, try to get a snapshot of how well this worked for the two companies. Hundo. I like it. All right. We're going to step aside, take a quick break. But like I mentioned, we're going to talk PG&E in California when we get back. We also have a story of a uh, another partnership, this time in the world of sports, but also a restaurant group. Mm. And so uh, it's going to be great. Stick around for that. That is coming up after the break. What does it mean to be a maverick of marketing? I'm Shannon Maverick. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. for the Maverick of Marketing radio show. Each week, I'll be chatting with a different marketing expert to find out what makes them a true maverick. Taking risk is being a maverick. If you aren't learning, you're going to get left behind. You can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. To listen, visit marketscale.com industries and click on MarketScale Radio at the top of the page. Stop running with the herd and start being a true maverick of marketing. Yeah, if you're not listening to Shannon's show, uh, you're missing out. She has some awesome experts on uh, talking marketing and talking different philosophies. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about continuing education mm, and how constant growth and learning new things um, can really benefit marketers these days. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about continuing education and in the business world and how that can be used in a marketing sense coming up on Friday as oh, well. Yes. So you're going to want to be around for that. But like I said, if you're not listening at 9 a.m. on uh, Monday mornings to Shannon's show, Maverick of Marketing, you are missing What you out. doing? What you doing? What you doing? What you even doing squad, with yourself? Squad, bro, fam. Exactly. Throwing out all those, you know, those millennial hip terms. I'm hip. <laughs> Like, this is what you're going to get when you've got a youngin. You know what else is hip? What? Talking PG&E. Ooh, that's the opposite of hip, my friend. It is, actually. It's very depressing. That was the joke. That was was indeed the the joke. joke. We need a a stinger for that one. We do. (laughs) All right, that's going on. That's going on a sauna to... to, uh, I actually, I I know exactly what clip I'm going to pull for this. Amazing. I love it. Yes. Folks, if you have any ideas for fun zingers for the... uh, uh, the switchboard. Eh, that's not the right word. The soundboard? Soundboard. <laughs> Tweet at us at MarketScale or at Biz Casual Radio or at Voice of B2B. Yeah. Because uh, we love to hear from you and we love your ideas because we have smart listeners. We do have smart listeners. Yeah. Probably the smartest listeners. The smartest. Many people are saying that our listeners are the smartest. I'm not saying it, but many people many are saying people it. Are saying many, it. many people are saying it. <laughs> All right, folks, PG&E is a disaster. We need to talk about this. Oh, so geez. Californians 
want to end PG&E operations as they exist now. This headline of an mm-hmm. article, we will link to it in the uh, post of this conversation. But there's a new poll out that basically says California voters do not like how PG&E is handling electricity right now, and there needs to be some kind of change. So this is really interesting. Pacific Gas and Electric uh, has been responsible for some of the worst wildfires we've seen in years in California. That has become very clear. Um, A mix of lack of investment in repairs and maintenance and uh, lack of oversight on inspections has led to faulty infrastructure that is prone to spark. Um, One of the prime examples is they haven't been clearing tree branches hanging over the power lines. So if a tree branch falls... Uh, you know, it could cut the wire, it could spark, and then we are in high wind, dry season in California that creates wildfire that kills people. Yeah. So it's a huge problem. To quell issues recently, PG&E cut power to millions of customers, uh, and with PG&E being the sole provider of electricity for large swaths of northern, uh, northern excuse me, and central California, there's really nothing people could do about it. They just had to either, you know deal with a wildfire or deal with no electricity. PG&E is also in the hole because they're crawling out of a recent filing for bankruptcy. And they're also dealing with a multi-billion dollar settlement for the community damages and deaths caused because of the wildfires that their um, faulty infrastructure caused. That was announced Friday of last week. Um, And this multi-billion dollar settlement is looking to help customers and communities recover from the devastating wildfires. Mm-hmm. So, where does PG&E go from here? So, there was a recent poll of California voters by UC Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies. They found that the majority of people do not want to see PG&E return to its classic state post-bankruptcy. Uh, you know, so to its classic uh, form of corporate operation. Right. Um, after they uh, fix and uh, crawl back out of that bankruptcy hole. Fewer than one-eighth of people want PG&E to fix their own problems and to retain that same corporate structure. Mm -hmm. However, the actual path forward is not as clear, and voters are a little split. So I actually want to get your thoughts on which you think is going to be most uh, effective or viable. Here are all the different options. So 35% say they'd like PG&E to remain investor-owned in some capacity. Mm Mm-hmm. 37% of voters support some sort of government-run restructure of the company. And then the different, the the differential? No, just the difference there. Um, I think that's what, like 18% or something. I'm doing quick head math. They said they don't have an opinion. Uh, 28%, I think it actually is. So the actual options include splitting PG&E into two separate companies. uh, Selling PG&E to another utility company. So basically saying... PG&E can't run this. Let's have someone else buy them up and run it. We could convert PG&E into a state-run agency, tax dollar funded, um, basically a a, a government agency. Mm -hmm. Or it could be broken up into small nonprofit cooperatives in cities and counties, um, publicly owned, but not run from the top down at a state level. Another option, this is outside of the survey, but this has been proposed by San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo. Um, This option could turn PG&E into a customer-owned utility that would operate without shareholders, and it would be exempt from federal taxation. So 
this is an idea that could potentially save ratepayers billions over the course of 10 years uh, without that kind of profit necessity uh, with shareholders overseeing PG&E. Um, it would cut costs substantially. So right. which option is best for the people of California and for the stability of utilities in this region? I lean um, – you know, I'm, I'm kind of a public proponent. Sure. So I lean towards the public options mostly because I really think this would save money in the long run. I mean we see when there is a necessity to pay out bonuses, pay out shareholders, and that motivates decision-making. Um, often a lot of money that could be funded into infrastructure or could be funded into maintenance or repair or expansion of services instead gets funded into payouts and right. bonuses and you know making sure shareholders are – you know, paid to their satisfaction. Um, however, I do understand kind of hesitance to going from one large agency supplying power across the state to another large agency supplying power across the state, just going from corporate to government. I could see mm -hmm. people feeling anxious about that and being like, is this really going to solve the issue when it's, again, kind of monopolized by one uh, one interest um, or one agency. Uh, however, I think with some kind of government accountability here, there is more room for voters to have a say either through the ballot box or through pressure to make sure that some kind of government-run option uh, is more accountable yeah. and um, more cost-effective and more effective in delivering utilities and electricity. So you think that that option kind of provides for the oversight necessary because that's obviously what's been lacking over the last several years, let's say? You would hope so. Yeah. It would have to be, uh, you know, a well thought out and structured bureaucracy to make that happen, mm. um, which, you know, goes back to what would this actually look like, transitioning PG&E yeah. to being a public-owned uh, option. That's why I do kind of like the idea of small community-based public-owned utilities as well, mm -hmm. because I think the bureaucratic component of it is uh, a little simpler when you have many small operations dealing with small subsections instead of one large state-run uh, utility right. having to then you know uh, kind of pull the strings and and deal top-down. On, on implementing a structure that will provide transparency and accountability and uh, electric services. What are you leaning towards? That's a really good question, and I have not uh, thought about this, nor do I get in the weeds on, on uh, policy quite as much as you do, which sure. is why people should definitely listen to Ratified on uh, next Tuesday when uh, you have a new episode. Thank you for the plug. You are welcome. You're welcome. Uh, I tend to think that having more kind of smaller operations does provide for a more granular level of oversight and and service yeah yeah service and care into the community the smaller you get the more that you have people that live work play care about the area that they are working in as opposed to the one gigantic you know group in pg&e that's supposed to oversee all of california which right is massive first of all but then also like you, you have that kind of ivory tower white tower you know kind of right. idea where it's one guy on high you know looking down on all the peasants and seems <laughs> to not care at all in it seems right. weird to say peasants about people that live in california but 
if you know what I mean, like definitely, there's there's that idea of that guy, that person, the the few people at the head of PG&E don't care about the little person, don't care about just the common everyday right. person that relies on them for you know, their energy needs and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, yesterday I came home and my internet had come unplugged. And so I came home and I was like, oh my God, like nothing in my house is working. What's going on? And it took me a little while to figure out that the box on the wall had come unplugged. And I was like, okay, crisis averted. But for a little while I was like, what am I supposed to do tonight? And like, sure, (laughs) that sounds pathetic, but if you have like rolling blackouts and that's like, think about how that affects people's everyday lives. If you work from home, if you... Um, you know, we're trying to, you know, take care of your family and do homework at home, you know, that sort of thing. And you have rolling blackouts. That's just, that's not the kind of care. That's not the kind of, I guess, thoughtfulness that you want from a company that's supposed to be serving all of California. And so I, I tend to think that the more granular you can get, the smaller you can get, the more local you can get, the better it is for consumers. Agreed. And, you know, it, it just speaks to, um, you know, when you have one company providing, basically the only access to electricity for whole regions in the third largest state uh, in the United States, there really isn't, you know, the kind of market uh, back and forth that often gets argued in situations like this where, hey, you know, yes, they are a corporation. Yes, there isn't the kind of like ballot box accountability however the market will sort itself out because Mm -hmm. you know if they suck at business someone else will come in and fix this in this situation there literally is no other option because they get either eaten up by pg&e bought out uh and there's no competition so pg&e doesn't have that accountability so that's why i think voters are leaning towards some kind of change something that okay well whatever was in place before clearly there wasn't accountability to ensure that i have electricity or that people aren't burning in the forest right yeah uh so maybe a public run utility would have that kind of accountability maybe people's voice and like what they want out of their electricity needs would be uh better heard so that's that's you know kind of where i see that but for example just real quick gotta toss this one out nebraska is the only state where every home and business gets electricity from a community-owned institution and they do it like you said at a granular level um over 120 own uh public owned utility companies um they're small and obviously nebraska has considerably less people than california but uh you know it it's doable it's doable it's, it's pretty clear the people of California need to make a change, and it's pretty clear that we have to make a change because we're out of time today. We're out of time. We always do this. But we're making a line change because T.C. Riley's hopping in the hot seat right across from me, and we're going to hit up an episode of Diving Into Data coming oh up boy. next, Daniel. So we're going to talk a little football, a little holiday tra- travel analytics. Oh, yeah. So get and ready there was for a that. great story we didn't hit on Biz Casual. I think we're just going to have to touch on it on Friday. It's going to come on Friday. Because it's juicy. Makes me hungry. Ooh, we're going to talk a little partnership between a restaurant group and esports. So Delicious. that's going to be on Friday. But that's all for us. Thanks for listening to Business Casual today. I'm Tyler Kern. I'm Daniel Litwin, voice of B2B. Adios, friends.